With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Listen, if you're always running to the bathroom and sometimes just can't make it, we need to talk. You're not alone. I was just like you until I spoke to an expert physician about axonics therapy. It changed everything. It didn't just give me bladder control. It gave me my life back. Axonics therapy is not another drug. It's just a tiny device you barely have to think about and it can give you real lasting relief. You can even try it out first to make sure it works for you. Just take the first step. Get started at findrealrelief.com. That's findrealrelief.com. It's time to get your life back. Consult a bladder specialist to find out if Axonix is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. Risks can result from Axonix therapy that may require surgical intervention. Available by prescription only. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com. This is a production of ITM Media. New season, new intro, ladies and gentlemen. Should have done this last week, Charlie, but I didn't. But it doesn't matter now. we got a great episode in store for you today. Austin Terrio is going to be joining us later on in the broadcast to talk about his racing career and what he's been up to and just talk about his career. And very special because he's the 2017 Arca Series champion, our first champion here on the show there, Charlie. Yeah. Uh, not including you. To- not including you. Well, thanks for you know <laughs> clarifying that. But yeah, anyway, uh, before I was really interrupted, uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, this interview. You know, however, I'm not a Daytona winner like Austin. Yeah, it, it's going to be a great episode, Matt. Yeah, it's really going to be a very great episode. But we got a couple things to cover up here for you. We're going to go over the class real quick and talk about. And, and answer the question here real quick. We didn't get really much response on the question of the week, but. Uh, Floyd Mayweather's team make the Daytona 500, but I have my thoughts on that. I'm curious to hear what you think, Charlie. And then get into our ta- uh, the review of the class real quick, and then in our talk with Austin. And so we're just going to hit the ground running. 
last week's question of the week was, will Floyd Mayweather's race team make the Daytona 500? I think yes. Because I, I think it's, yes it's, as well. It's such a level playing field, and he's got a good driver there in Kaz Graula who knows how to race to cup cars. He's done it a few times. I think um, I think it's going to be a, a I, great showing. You know, I think I think yes because you know yes, Cas uh, Grala, you know, has some experience in the Cup Series, and you know, not only does it kind of level the playing field out with these new cars, um, as we've seen in the Clash, you know, and it also it being a restricted plate race, but he has Tony Erie Jr. calling the shots on the pit box. He was won multiple times at Daytona with Dale Earnhardt Jr. Yes, so he has. So he has the, I, I see them. I see car. them making the race. Yeah, absolutely. But, yes, there's 36 charters. So there's only going to be four extra spots, but I see them securing one of those four spots. Yep, I do as well. So long as they don't get caught up in anything in the duels. Well, and and that's the thing too. I mean, it's so unpredictable in the duels, as we saw last a couple of weeks ago when we when I tried to attempt to make the 250 race for their Erska series, but I feel like Casgrella is a good driver. I feel like Tony Urey Jr., though be it a new car coming out here in the 2022 season, is going to be it's going to be different. It's going to be a learning curve for both of those guys. I feel like they have the experience to do it and heck Floyd Mayweather coming in. He the guy likes to win. He's a great boxer and I feel like this is just a door opening up for more outside sports influences. To come into the sport, heck, you never know. One day we may see a Tom Brady racing. Yes, I mean, very likely. You never know. But, I mean, they won't have the number 12, but, you know, it is what it is. No, they won't have the number 12. They have to fight that away from Penske. Good luck with that. But, Charlie, yep. how did you like the clash? We're going to hop right into it here. But throughout the race, the heat races were fun. They were entertaining. The last chance qualifying was great, especially the second one where it was just five laps to go for 30 minutes. But I feel like the main event itself, the 150-lap main event, didn't live up to expectations. Not to me, at least. No, I don't, I don't think it did it either. <laughs> I felt like the heat races was where all the excitement was. And then I felt like the final race just went right back to racing as it was last year, where, you know, a lot of green flag racing. Uh, I felt like everybody fought to make the race. And then once they made the race, that was it. Nonetheless, I, you know, it was still exciting to watch. I'm excited about the year only because I feel like you're going to have a lot more hard racing this year, regardless of the situation of, man, we just can't get parts for these cars, yada, yada, yada. You know, I don't see that holding these guys back as much as we think because, man, these bodies took a beating and they did not give up. They used to, you know how many tires we'd have cut down this past weekend? Just oh, we by caught, looking we at, down just by ton. looking sideways, looking sideways at defenders, we did cut tires down, yeah, and that was not the case this past weekend. No, it, it was a, a good, I think, test of the composite bodies. The composite bodies held up well. We didn't see any tire issues. However, we did see right there at the main event, three cars go down with issues, linkage issues for Chase Briscoe again after what he went through in practice, a transactional issue for Tyler Reddick, and a steering issue for Denny Hamlin. Now, with all three of those things happening right there, you know, 
I was kind of scared. I was like, oh, my gosh, what else is going to break? How many other cars are going to go out of the race for mechanical issues? And only two cars got caught up in wrecks that forced him out of the race, and that was Eric Almirola and Justin Haley, which they didn't – Justin hit concrete, as you pointed out, too, when we were FaceTiming while watching the race, and Eric Almirola just got caught up in a bad wreck there, I think actually during one of the qualifying races. But either way, it was just one of those things where you're right, no tires were cut down in the race, which is a good indication of what we're going to see on track, especially Bristol, Martinsville, New Hampshire, Richmond, short tracks. But it was just one of those things where the main event was not really up to par as far as what we would expect a race. And not only that, the racing was starting to get good after lap 75. That was the mid-race break, and we got a Ice Cube concert, which, as I tweeted, I'm not the biggest fan of Ice Cube. The racing was just starting to get good. I think tires were starting to get heat in them by that point, really up to optimal temperature, and the racing was starting to pick up. And then they threw the caution for the mid-race break, which, yep. to be honest with you, the pre-race festivities with Pitbull and the mid-race break with Ice Cube – it wasn't my cup of tea. Now, based yeah, on and now, granted, yes, it wasn't mine either. But let's face it, where where were they racing at? Los All Angeles. That, you know, take that into consideration. You know, that's like the the halftime concert at Super Bowl a couple of years ago, or it may have been last year or whatever when it was in Miami. Yeah, but I mean, and then looking at the crowd, man, it, it, based on what I've been understanding, it it was like. 65 to 70% of those people have never been to a NASCAR race for one. So now, now they have the idea in their head, like what NASCAR is, mm-hmm. which is a big party. And in a sense, it is. When you get together with race fans, tailgating and stuff, it's a big party. And, and, and I, I love that aspect of it. But in looking at the crowd, man, I tell you, I have never seen so many college-age kids at a NASCAR race before in my life. And, man, it looked like that NASCAR went to University of Southern California, UCLA, and other colleges down there in the greater Los Angeles area and just and handed, handed out, t- out tickets. And handed out tickets. <laughs> I feel like the clash at the Coliseum, was it a success? It depends on how you look at it. If you look at it from the standpoint of at least people got to experience their first NASCAR race and could they experience it again at Auto Club Speedway? Possibly. Sonoma? Possibly. Las Vegas? Yeah, if you're around that area of the country, most definitely. But if you were looking at it in the sense of you and I here in the South, it was a, a concert with racing through in there, thrown in there. If you're looking at it from a grassroots point of view and NASCAR going after these fans, which is great, but at the same time, it's like, I don't want to hear Ice Cube during a mid-race break. First of all, I don't like mid-race breaks. I, I've, this is the first time I've ever recall seeing it during a clash. But then I don't want to hear rap, to be honest with you. It's not everybody's favorite genre. Just like country isn't everybody's favorite yeah, genre. And, and no, it, it, it's not everybody's favorite. But if if you look at the, the age category that was there, that's not our age group, man. So no, it really wasn't. You know, I felt they, I, I they, felt like if I was there they, at the, they LA, probably would have enjoyed it, and they may have enjoyed it. I felt like if um, I was there at the Coliseum, I would have been like a fish out of water, even though I've been to over thirty NASCAR races. Right, felt so out of place because so I you know, you know I guess you could look at this race this past weekend a few a few different ways. You know, you you could look at it. You know, if you were there and you look at the people that were there, 
as you know, was that a success? Okay, maybe bringing in different fans, you know, a younger group, whatever, as in your older traditional, you know, always hating on NASCAR for the for the route that they're going lately, whatever. But then you look at uh, the TV ratings, and the TV ratings was like, uh, I think I looked at it, it was like 4.8 million viewers or something like that, which was like the most since the 2016 or 2017 clash or, or you know, shootout or whatever you want to call it. So, you know, if you look at it that way, maybe it was a success. Right. And it kind of opens the door for NASCAR going to other venues. If they've done it at the L.A. Coliseum, which I don't think they should go to next year. No, I I don't either. You know, now you have the opportunity to go to Lambeau Field and run a NASCAR race up there in Lambeau Field. You have the opportunity to go to Alabama's Brian Denny Stadium and run a NASCAR race there. I mean, college grout, I mean, we already kind of bashed on the fact that most of the kids were college, but it gives you the opportunity that if NASCAR could do it once at the L.A. Coliseum, they could definitely do it again at another football stadium and maybe test, maybe use that class as a gauge of, could we bring NASCAR here to this market? They could run yeah, it pretty much anywhere also, in the country. There's also different ways to doing it right. than just, hey, let's build a track. No, you know, and, and, and um, we've we talked you know, about it. You don't have to build a racetrack. You know, if that's the case, there's tracks closer to some of these college campuses and stuff like that that you could use. And we talked about the idea of them, of NASCAR, I should say, going, well, why build a track when we got a track like South Alabama Speedway that we just need to put in safer barriers and make it NASCAR worthy and run there? Imagine the publicity that places like South Alabama Speedway will get, like a Florence Motor Speedway will get, like a Dillon Motor Speedway will get, doing the clash there, and then and maybe having a, a driver like in the SRX series, like the SRX series has with the local legend right there, attempt to race in there and see what he can do in a cup car. I mean, I mean that's just an idea. I'm spitballing here after watching the clash. It wasn't a total failure, but I tell you what, you, me, and Caroline were way under. We were expecting anywhere from ten to eighteen cautions, and we. Had, oh yeah, no, there the final what, race. Like what, we I, had I think my guess was fifteen. Yeah, I guessed eighteen. Caroline guessed twelve. She was a bit conservative. So and what was there? Seven, if that. I mean, there weren't many cautions in the race, and I, I think it was a good success. If that's what NASCAR was going for, is it a permanent state a staple in NASCAR? I hope not. But we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, Joey Logano won, but I mean that was about the only thing I remember. I'll remember from it, and that is the L.A. Coliseum. But I'm hoping NASCAR doesn't go back there. I hope they've kind of will figure this out more in the sense of we're going to go somewhere else and do this. We're going to go explore new areas yeah, and territories. I mean, there's the sky's the limit now. I think for the money they poured into it, just for it to get tore back up. You know, me personally, I. I'm not about throwing money away like that, but that's that's from somebody that don't have money to throw away like that. So No, you're one hundred percent right me. on that. <laughs> but hey man, before we get into our talk with Austin, you have anything else about the class real quick? Nope. Looking forward to the duels. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the duels coming up here. And uh just for everybody out there, there's uh little quick information. When the episode drops here on Thursday at five PM, Caroline and I are going to the hospital and uh inducing labor. And uh, our daughter hopefully will be here 
sooner rather than later. Uh, we just had a checkup today. Everything's going splendidly well. I think here next week we'll be able to introduce our daughter to the world. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited for y'all, man. Yeah. Even though you told me just a little bit ago Caroline was going racing Thursday. Yeah, yeah. I accidentally said, uh, yeah, well, she's going racing Thursday. And I don't know. I got racing on the mind for some reason. But, hey, <laughs> anything else before we get into our talk with Austin? No, I'm good, buddy. All right, let's uh, bring Austin on. Before we continue on with the episode, I wanted to remind everybody out there about our online stores at Bonfire and Teespring. There you can find the latest and greatest rambling about racing skiers. It's t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, pint glasses, hats, and so much more to show everybody, whether you're at your local short track or the big stage of NASCAR Formula One, that you are an avid fan and listener of rambling about racing. Charlie, it doesn't get any better than that. No, it absolutely doesn't, Matt. And to make it even better, now through the end of February, you can get 15% off if you go to the store and use promo code CLASH. That in honor a, of the Bush Clash coming up this Sunday. Man, that is such a great idea, Charlie. 15% off from now till the end of February on both Teespring and Bonfire using discount code CLASH for 15% off. Links will be in the podcast description below. Or if you head over to ramblingaboutracing.com, under the stores tab there, you can find the link to the stores. Go check them out. And all purchases help, out, uh, help us out here at Rambling About Racing, bring you better content in the future. And, hey, you look good in it as well. So 15% off from now to the end of February using discount code CLASH. Now we have the privilege and pleasure of being joined by uh, 2017 ARCA Series champion Austin Terrio. Austin, thank you for taking the time to be on the show, and uh, how you doing? Hey guys, it's good to be with you, and uh, things are well on my end. Looking forward to chatting about a bunch of different stuff with you guys. Yeah, you have a, a very prestigious career. I dare say one of the most prestigious that we've ever had here on the show and we're just going to go ahead and get started. We're going to go all the way back to the start of your racing career up there in Maine. Tell us how that uh, got started. Well, you're making me feel special if I'm, uh, you're saying I'm the most prestigious. Let's say you're the um, first champion we've ever had on the show in a major racing series. Well, I'll tell you what. I won't be the last. You guys you guys are on the upswing. and uh, Appreciate it. So yeah, let's, let's go back all the way to 2007, which was, which is when I started racing uh, four cylinder cars at a local track about an hour from where I grew up. You know, the funny story with, with that is that track had been open and closed for, for many years before the, before that. Um, and it just happened to open up the summer of 2007. And, and that's when I started racing. My grandfather bought me a piece of junk, 86, I think uh, Pontiac Grand Dam which, which was gutted out and had a roll cage in it, but you know, it wasn't in very good shape for, uh, for racing. It was in good shape for like bomber races, but not, not for going around in circles. But you know, the, those are the, I think the, those situations and, and, and whatnot are defining for anybody, you know, because you, you gain a lot of respect for, for the equipment. And, you know, when you start at that level and <laughs> you know, where, where you're racing at, 
um, when you finally get to the next levels, you know, the quality of equipment and the quality of parts and stuff, you know, you, you don't take that stuff for granted when you've started, you know, with literally piece of junk, piece of crap cars. So I soon, you know, graduated up from four cylinder cars after a few years and uh, started racing late models. And um, I actually won my first ever late model race that I, that I ever ran. It was a 150 lap race at my home track. And uh, my dad had, had did a transaction with, uh, with a guy named Doug Coombs. Doug was actually turned out to be a, a, a close family friend after we bought the car from him. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This holiday season, Lexus wants you to remember. Nothing feels as good as making others feel good. Those so-called feel-good holiday films? They can't hold a gingerbread-scented candle to the feeling of giving them something that gives them all the feels. Make this December one to remember. Together. Click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. His daughter actually worked with us as a, as a tire specialist on our late model team. And uh, also up until this day continues to, to work on some of my marketing uh, from time to time and, and, and whatnot. So, you know, a good example, I guess, of you never know who you're going to cross pa- uh, paths with. And, and that family was, was very special because if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have had won my first late model race. And from winning that first late model race, I had some doors open up and Door, and we, we'll get into that in, in a little bit, but those doors opened up in North Carolina, but that didn't happen right away. Um, in the time being, I was racing mainly on a regional tour. So instead of just focusing on Maine, we, we raced some in Maine, some in New Hampshire, Vermont, Connecticut, upstate New York. So, you know, keep in mind, I was still in high school at that point. So on, on any given weekend, we were traveling 8, 10, 12 hours to go to the racetrack, you know, for a 150 lap race, 150 lap uh, tour race. And we probably traveled, we probably ran the most miles out of anybody that ran, ran on that tour just because of where I'm from. You know, I'm closer to Quebec, Canada than I am to like Portland, Maine, which is the biggest uh, city in, in Maine. So I've had an interesting, I guess, beginning of, of my racing career. And it's not, it's not typical. I started when I was a little older, I was 13 compared to kids that start when they're four and five. And so, yeah, I fast forward to eventually getting some opportunities in, in North Carolina to, to, to race late models down here. And uh, at that point I had to make a decision, you know, am I going to go to college? Am I going to go to, to pursue racing? And I chose to pursue racing and the rest is history. So if you, you know, if you want to get into any of that stuff, we can, uh, we can uh, now or later, you just tell me where you want to head. Well, let's let's go back to 2007. Forgive me if I'm pronouncing this wrong. There up there in Maine, when you made your first start at Spud Speedway, is that correct? Yeah, Spud Speedway, uh, and they call it Spud Speedway because it was it was next to a potato field. Well, that makes sense. Kind of a weird yeah. play. You'd think that'd be like in Idaho or something like that. But being in Maine, like, what what was the bug that bit you? What was the point in your life there as a young teenager that said, "I want to." give racing a go 
Well, I, I always went to NASCAR races with my grandfather, uh, Loudon International Speedway, or now it's called New Hampshire International Speedway. It was basically a twice a year trip for us. They, they used to have two cup races there a year. Trucks used to be there, Xfinity cars, you know, can and all and whatnot. So that was, that was from my childhood up until I started racing, you know, pretty much a regular yearly thing. And so you start off as a race fan and when you have an opportunity to get behind the wheel, you know, that changes you, you, the competition, the, the drive to, to always get better was something that bit me. It wasn't necessarily, you know, winning right off because like I said, I wasn't winning races right off. I was getting used to the, the car and, you know, we didn't have a good car. So, so it was more just you versus the, the track and the, and, and you versus the, uh, the car trying to get faster every week. And so that's what really drew me to it. And at that point, I didn't, I didn't realize that it was going to be any sort of potential for anything beyond just having fun on the weekend. And I think that's how a lot of people start. Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned the, uh, uh, the four cylinder class because, you know, other than carts uh, growing up, the first time I actually ran, you know, on an asphalt track was in a four cylinder class like that. And, you know, we had, we actually had to relocate the fuel shutoff valve on the little Ford car that I was running to right beside the seat. Uh, because if you got hit hard enough, you'd have to reach over there and click it real quick so that you didn't lose all the power. And, and you're right. It does make you really appreciate all the safety equipment and everything a whole lot more. So it, it, it kind of brought back some memories for myself whenever you uh, brought that up earlier. So. Yeah, Austin, uh, Charlie here is our resident racer. He races cup lights in South Alabama Speedway. He, he might have a little more in-depth, like the technical side of stuff that, that you went through. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm, I was I was just paying attention to the chicken fingers that he's had. Those look really good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so <laughs> it's kind of a drive-through dinner for me tonight. So <laughs> so, so after you got, down, got done with Maine and pretty much proven yourself up there, what drew you exactly to North Carolina? Was it the late model tour, the pro all-star series? Well, it's still, there's still a lot of main routes to how I ended up in North Carolina. Okay. Uh, when we were racing in Southern Maine, I met a gentleman, uh, a gentleman named Scott. And at that time he was racing. He had been racing for many years. He was kind of a well-known figure in in Southern Maine, late model racing and a happy go lucky guy, very serious about racing. Um, but he was in his fifties, I believe he had hired, um, he had hired the crew chief of the Brad Kozlowski racing development program, which was in North Carolina to come and, and manage his, his late model stuff. Um, he, he probably ran, you know, 10, 10 or 12 times a year up in Maine. And, and so that guy would fly up and uh, take care, take care of crew chief Scott at the racetrack. And, and so that's how I met. That's how the door opened. I, I got close to Scott and for anybody listening, you know, I always tell the younger kids, I say, you never know who you're going to meet at the racetrack. If you have any aspirations of, getting involved in racing, even if it's not as a driver, you can't be afraid to go up to people and introduce yourself and go up to people. And especially if you're shy, you know, you have to be able to break that ice. You have to be able to, to increase the amount of people that you know, and that gets, that gets easier the more you do it. So the point being is I met Scott, he, he introduced me to Gary, who was the crew chief for the, for the Kislowski development program. Um, and we started talking and it just timing worked out perfect for me to make the move to North Carolina, get more involved with, with that team on a, from a development standpoint, I started working in the shop. 
I started spending more time in North Carolina, uh, got an apartment here. In addition to, I had a, I had a place in Maine as well. So I was splitting time, you know, back and forth between those two different opportunities. And I, and I had some stuff in Maine I was taking care of. I was also racing up there too, but that's how the door opened up. And, and then from there, once again, you know, meeting people, having discussions, uh, understanding the business side of the racing and like how to, how, how to sell sponsorship and how to get companies to, to get behind you. You know, that's all stuff that I was, I was like, uh, you know, on the job training for me as I was working in the shop and learning about the cars and mechanical side. So I just put myself, I like threw myself into the deep end and had to figure out how to swim in order to make, in order to make all this work. So opportunities came up from that, that, you know, would pave the path to where we're talking about right now, you know, the truck series opportunities and and ARCA and uh, Xfinity and, and whatnot, those all start from something, right? They all started from, from a conversation I had with Scott in, you know, at the racetrack in Southern Maine. And, and, and from there, it's just like you meet people and you have conversations and that's how it starts. Everything nowadays is about networking. It, it really is. Yeah. That's, that's an understatement right there. I feel. It is. And I was, uh, I was kind of a quiet kid. I, you know, I wasn't like overly shy, but I kept to myself a little bit and, and I wasn't like an extroverted guy, like the center of attention, you know, walk into a room and starts yelling and screaming and telling everybody what he did that day. And I was kind of on the, I I was always more of a listener and that's, that's not a bad, that's not a bad personality to have. I think, I think a lot of times, you know, it's good to be humble and it's good to, it's good for people to realize that you want help and you want, you know, you want support and you need sponsorship and you need guidance and you want some, you want people to get behind you. You don't want to seem like you have all your shit figured out. Even, even if you might, you know, even if you do, it's just not, it's not necessarily a good way to go through life, especially if you're trying to accomplish dreams. You need to, you need to have people, you need to have people help you. You can't just do it on your own. So the point is, I think I've become, you know, way more outgoing just with, with the fact that I've been in racing and I've had conversations just like we're having tonight, you know, sharing my story and how I got to where I am, to where I am right now. You know, you, you have to, you have to learn how to be, a, be braver and you have to learn how to kind of come out of your shell a little bit. And so I've, uh, I've really done that. And, and I, if you saw, you know, the 13 year old me versus like the 28 year old me, that's the biggest difference I think you'd see. And a lot of drivers we've talked to that have come on the show and your position coming up through and more so just starting really with their their career in the higher series, such as trucks and Xfinity, tend to work in the shop. They tend to start off not as a driver full-time, but in the shop. And how important is that as far as developing a driver? I think it's helpful from a couple different areas. Like, number one, you having a basic understanding of the car is important. You know, you want to know what what a shock does and what a spring does and what a sway bar does and what camber what camber is and caster and bump steer. That's 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 an easy answer. But I think the second answer isn't really going to be as obvious. And it's something I see more now when I'm when I'm dealing with with younger kids or you know people that have dreams and they want to make it to the top of the sport. You have to have a respect for the the amount of work that gets put in into the cars. You have, you have to be respected by the people that work on your cars. And see, that, that's, that's a big thing for, for, for people that come in, and especially if they've never worked on their cars. You know, just walking through the shop and making your face seen isn't necessarily the best thing to do, right? 
when you're young, you know, if you're Jimmy Johnson and you're Kyle Bush and you're, you know, you paid, you paid your dues, you've gone through you, you, whatever you, you've made it. That's one thing. But if you're, you know, Joe Smith or somebody, I, I just a random person, you know, Gracie Smith, who's, who's young and, and hungry, right. You're going to be, you're going to be way more respected. If you pick up a ranch or you pick up a broom or you're active in going out to lunch with your team, because going above and beyond is where, is where people notice. So you can't just be like a, like a, like a armchair quarterback and expect if you're, you know, a kid and, and you're young or, or whatnot, you want to be respected in the industry. You have to be willing to put the work in. And so the mechanics is one thing. The respect parts is the, the, the more important, you know, aspect that I, I, I would just mention. That, that is a, a common thing we've heard, but not in that amount of detail, like you stated. I mean, a lot of people work on the cars and stuff, but feel like you just went another notch over. I, I really appreciate that answer. That's a really good answer for especially future up and coming racers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for for some of the for some of the drivers that tear that tend to tear up equipment, you know, the funny the funny joke in 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 North Carolina, I guess, in in Mooresville, because that's where a lot of the race teams are located, is. You know, they'll, they'll give you one torn up race car, maybe a, maybe a second torn up race car. But on the third torn up race car, you better be at the shop on Monday helping the guys take the body off and strip the suspension down to show them that, look, I'm going to race hard, but I'm also going to work hard because I appreciate, you know, I appreciate that when I stuck it in there three wide expecting to win the race and it didn't work out, I'm going to have your back on the backside Monday through Friday when, when that's, you know, that's when the hard work takes place. It's not just turning the wheel and you know, figuring out how, how deep you're going to drive it in the corner or how, how big of a chance you're going to, you're going to take on the last lap to win a race. You know, I think the drivers that do that are, are more respected than the drivers that just say, well, Hey, it's not my job to fix it. Even if, even, if, even for the drivers that are funded or that have sponsorship and are bringing it to the table, it still goes a long way to show that you care. Right. Races aren't necessarily one on, on race day. I never phrases races aren't one on race day and you, you don't show up driving leave. For, for lack of better words. You're absolutely right. I, I've seen a lot of, a lot of uh, stickers on the wall, like at the, at certain race shops, basically saying the same thing. If you're not, if you, if you don't prepare to win at the shop, you ch- your chances of success at the racetrack are going to be slim or none. Absolutely. That's a well said quote. I really like that. Okay. So now we're going back to the late model tour. You're with Brad Kozlowski racing as a development driver that started through Scott and your connections up there in Maine. How was your time moving to North Carolina to adjust to that? I mean, high school grad, I mean, really just racing focus on the future. What were the difficulties in adjusting to that? Well, the, the biggest difficulty is like any, like any college student going and moving out of state is you have to adjust to the fact that you don't know a lot of people. So it's like making, you, you know, making friends all over again, trying to, trying to form new connections. Luckily, you know, I had a, I had a job in the race shop, like I said, so tip, I ended up making a majority of the friends I had was through racing and the connections I had was through racing, but I packed up my stuff, you know, drove down a car full of clothes and whatever else I could fit. That's how it all started. Now, I also maintain a lot of connections to Maine because I was still racing, like I said, at that time up there. So I would, I would go for weeks on end and, you know, like once a month or sometimes I'd spend a month up there at a time, just, just, uh, also working with, with sponsors. And cause I was very fortunate to have, have support from, from Northern New England. Majority of my sponsorship came from there when I was racing, even on, even at a national level. So the relationship I had with all the folks back home was very important to me. 
and in doing that, you raced there. It looks like you started in about 2010, raced there for a number of years up to maybe 2014, based on what I'm seeing here in the notes. But you raced a whole lot of different series as well, such as Asphalt Stock Car Racing, Car X-1 Pro Cup Series, ARCA Midwest Tour. You ran a number of series, including the NASCAR K&N Series. Did that come from your connection with Brad Keselowski Racing and getting those opportunities, or did you go to those particular teams and say, this is what I can do for you? Well, the, the Brad Keselowski opportunity opened up opened up doors when it came to racing in the South and in the Midwest. So a lot of, a lot of that stuff that you're seeing, whether it's uh, – you know, Arkham Midwest Tour, Southern Super Series, uh, Snowball Derby uh, uh, starts. That was all through the Brad Keselowski Late Model Program. All the stuff up north was was with my own team. You know, whether it's American Canadian Tour, past races, all all the past north races were basically through through my family team that we had with a car. And we won a couple past South races, and that was that was through Brad Keselowski. So you know, it, it's hard when you're when you have a a family operation. And uh, you have to travel so much. There's no way we logistically could have taken the car to Florida and <laughs> Iowa and all these different places. It would, have, it would just been it would have been a nightmare. So I was very, very fortunate to have that door open up with Brad and, and Gary Crooks and all those guys over there. I sur- I, I learned it a lot. I really did. Those those years were were huge learning years for me. Could you give us some examples on what you learned exactly? I was always a very technical driver and, and understanding the setup was, was something I had to do because I, I was a part of setting up my own cars when I was racing up in the Northeast. So when I came down South, it was, there was an adjustment period because, you know, Gary was very smart and I had to kind of remove myself a little bit and learn how to set those boundaries. Okay, well, I'm, I'm the driver. I have to give feedback and he needs to try to fix it versus a lot of drivers who don't have you know, that, that much of a, 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 it's not, they don't have a strong team, but when you have that much experience around as, with, with a, with a very experienced crew chief, you can't put, just put yourself in the middle of that. You can't drive the car and, and try to fix it at the same time. So, so I had to learn those boundaries and I, and Gary was good at telling me where I need to, needed to work on, on setting those boundaries, where they were good, where they, where they were bad. And uh, he was a demanding person, demanding crew chief. But I think, you know, looking back at it, it was, it was what I needed, you know, rather than somebody that was rather, I would have rather had that for my development uh, compared to somebody that was just everything, everything was good. You know, I never did anything wrong in order to get better. You have to have constructive feedback. Can't all, can't all be positive. And then thinking of that and just putting it to my own life, I feel like you learn more falling and then getting up and then vice just having someone carry you for kind of lack of a better analogy. Mm-hmm. Was your connection with Brad Keselowski Racing what opened the door with uh, your connection with Junior Motorsports for the Xfinity Series? I know Brad Keselowski raced for Junior Motorsports there for a while in about 2008, to, not time frame, but is that what kind of bumped you up to Xfinity? That That's a good guess, but I'll tell you, it was also through Scott, through the gentleman I met okay. up in New England, who was friends with the <laughs> one of the higher-ups at Junior Motorsports. And so there was doors that opened up there. It was a na- it was a natural fit. At the end of the day, that was a, a, that was a very big jump going from late models to winning an ARCA race to then jumping you know jumping into an Xfinity car was a huge was a huge step. And you know, looking back at it now, it's easy to say, well, I should have I should have run more ARCA, ra- ARCA races because when you're going from a late model to a 
to a stock car, the, there's so many differences, motors, bodies, aerodynamics, tires. There's no way to prepare for it other than just seat time. And when you're put, when you're put in, in such a high-pressure situation like... This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Like I was in the five, you know, sharing a ride with Kevin Harvick and Chase Elliott was a teammate. Casey Kane, I think, drove that year. You know, the expectations are here. So even if you're just, in, you know, even if you're average, based off the fact that you're, you know, here's your experience level. People don't necessarily take that into account. So, you know, from that perspective, it was a little bit of a disappointing year. Like it was kind of a building year. It was a, it was a growing year for me. You know, I learned a lot about myself and what I needed to work on. And it worked out good because I was able to step back and the opportunity with Brad Kislowski opened back up the next year because Ryan Blaney went to Penske to, to run Xfinity. So he got called up from the 29. And that was in 2015. Yeah, because you made the jump to Xfinity Series in 2014. And you said you took a step back. Was that a judgment call as a group? Or was that your own judgment call? You go up to your team and say, hey, I need a, a bit off more than I could chew. And maybe I could go back and learn more and develop more and then go up. Well, I think everybody everybody saw that. You know, when, when we say team, I'm talking about the people I had supporting me, supporting Austin, supporting my personal team and in my career and whatnot. So I think everybody was on the same page. That was a, that was a smart decision. And, and I had known all of those guys at Brad. So it was kind of a, it was a natural, it was a really, really natural fit. It wasn't like I had to learn any, any, anything new. I, there wasn't any new people. It was something that had been in the works for, for quite a while. And then you go up to the truck series in 2015 with Brad Kozlowski racing, pretty much coming out of the gate, full swing. You, Finished fourth at Daytona, and, and tell us about that. You because you were sharing the ride with Kozlowski, Logano, Blaney, probably just them coming down, getting seat time before they go up to the Cup Series and doing their thing, which I totally disagree with. I think it should be stuck down to lower series guys. Did the relationship with Joey, Ryan, and Brad help you out? And hey, I'm, this is what I what I'm feeling. What are you feeling? And what can I do to? Yeah, that, that was all helpful. I mean, I had. I had videos and I had, uh, you know, driver feedback to look at from all the drivers that had, had been there before. So Brad had, had one, uh, had been there. I think Joey had won, Joey had won Martinsville, I think the year that I was there. So I was still really involved with the team, even though I wasn't necessarily racing every week. Having, having those relationships is, is always important. Like, you, like, once again, you can't just be, you can't always just be a fly on the wall. You have to engage yourself. You have to ask questions. You have to be involved. So we had a, we had a pretty good season going, you know, there was ups and downs. I, I was, I was still understanding the air and the aerodynamics and, and, the, and what I wanted to feel out of the trucks compared to the cars. 
and things were things were headed in, in the right direction towards the end of the year, and I was ready to basically run the rest of the year. So the way the schedule was, it was kind of light at the beginning, light in the middle, and then it, towards the end of the year when the chase or the yeah, I think it was the chase back then. I was going to be in every week or at least every race that was uh, that was going to fill out the rest of the schedule. So I felt like the heat was turned on when it mattered. The heat for me, and I also felt like I had I had learned or had learned enough to take advantage of the opportunity and ended up getting hurt at Vegas with a back injury that took me out of the seat for the rest of the year in a lot of 2016. Though there were some opportunities that came up in 2016, you know, they were not the sort of opportunities that I was planning on or that I was hoping would lead from what I was doing in 2015. So I was hoping to, you know, go full-time truck series, had different opportunities that were potentially on the table for that. And, you know, when, when, when you have something like that, that kind of takes the train and derails it, even if it's just for a short period of time, it's so hard to kind of come back from that. That was, that was like a low, sort of a low time for me, you know, career wise and even personally, I didn't know, you know, if I, if I could really ever come back from that, even though I could come back from the injury, it was very difficult to come back from, from the momentum, from the, from losing the momentum, you know, because in racing or any other sport and even in business, when you have momentum and something happens, there's always somebody behind you that's going to take advantage of it. Not, not, not because they don't like you or they're a bad person, but there's always somebody else to replace you. And that's just how things have to be. So that, that takes us all the way up to 2017. And, and I'm going to go back to that Vegas crash because in doing research for you, I do recall this accident. I, I must say, Austin, you're very lucky to be talking to us today and, and doing what you're doing because you didn't hit a safer barrier. You hit straight head on into the wall. It seemed like just one of those freak accidents, wrong place, wrong time, which you can't really avoid You know, at times, I feel, in a, in a race car. The steering wheel hit your helmet. Even with all the head and neck restraints and stuff like that, I mean, that's still a violent, that was a violent impact. Oh, yeah, for sure. It was, uh, you know, it was one of the hardest hits, probably, one, you know, one of the hardest hits in NASCAR history. Just, well, you know, it's not the hardest hit, I would say, but just right. just in terms of the amount of Gs, I think, that I went through in that scenario, even though it's not necessarily public information, it's probably, you know, a top, at least the top 20 in terms of just sheer amount of force, you know, safer barriers have come a long way. And I'm sure the situation would have been different if it would have been a safer barrier. I would hope to think so, especially with the technology that they have. We've, we spoke to Jerry Nadu last year and he had a, a similar accident where he hit the wall. Of course he had his circumstances were a bit different. He hit the wall <laughs> at Richmond in the sense that I think it was 128 G's within a matter uh, twice within a matter of 0.2 seconds. It was a crazy amount of force that he hit the wall in. After the accident, did you have I mean any reservations about getting into the car again or saying this isn't worth it? I mean, what was your mindset as far as personally after that? I had a pretty pretty good mindset after. I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't afraid to get back behind the wheel. I figured it was just one of those one of those things that happens to a lot of people, you know, they, they're in a, just a weird situation, kind of the way things play out, shit happens in life and in racing. And so you have to, you have to figure out how to turn the page. I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been worth it if, if, if I had, you know, if I had a lot of fear reservations, I mean, it wouldn't have even been worth it, but I was very clear in wanting to get back behind the wheel. You came back in 2016 uh, with Brad Keselowski racing uh, at Daytona. At Daytona in 2016, yeah, the, we ran the first race. I think there was three. We ran three trucks there. 
had a really fast truck. I think we led the most laps or something and got caught up, got caught up in a, in a crash at the end of the race. And then we also attempted Charlotte, but it rained. And so we didn't, we weren't able to qualify. And uh, I was also running can at the time with Hitori racing. And I was supposed to be a full schedule turned up to be a partial schedule up until the, the team ran out of money. So after the accident that put your career on hold there in the truck series, you, you went to the Arca series shortly after that. Tell us how that happened. So at the end of 2016, I was in a, in a, in a tough spot, you know, not having recovered any of that momentum that I talked about, that momentum that you need in order to kind of get more doors to open. And I was at the PRI show, which is the performance racing industry show in, in Indianapolis at the end of 2016, just trying to see, you know, what, what I could drum up. And I had set up, I had set up some meetings, some sponsorship meetings, some team meetings, and I had potential opportunity to go drive for Cunningham Motorsports at the time, which uh, Chase Briscoe had just won the championship that year in 2016. And sat down with Briggs, great guy who's who's helped me help me in more, in more ways than you know I could I could even imagine or or ever mention. His team was full, and uh, so I, I walked away with that meeting, kind of unsure about what I was going to do. I just happened to to walk into Kenny Schrader, and, and him and his wife were walking on the sh- on the show floor. Tapped him on the back, and I said, "Hey, Kenny, this is Austin. It's really good to meet you." I didn't necessarily know what was going to come from that. And he's like, well, you know what? We, uh, we don't have a driver for next year. Why don't you come by the shop next week? Once you get, once you get back from, from the show. And so that, that's how it all, all worked out. I went down, drove, drove to his old shop, sat down in his office. And I said, here, here's the situation. Here's, here's what I can do. Here's what we're going to need to do in order to make this work on, on his end. And, and here's who I think we can contact for support you know, between the both of us and, and try to figure out how we can put together a full season effort. Because I, I said, you know, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it for the year and I want to have a shot at winning the championship. And that's, that's how that opportunity came together and sat down with Donnie Richardson, which, which was a crew chief and a long time crew chief for Kenny Schrader. And uh, we were talking about, you know, well, what's, what's our goals for the year? And, oh, we'd like to win We'd like to win a couple races and have a shot at winning the championship. And Donnie said, well, at the end of the day, he's like, all I want to, all I want to do is have a shot at the championship. And I felt like it was going to be a challenge. You know, they, they had some decent drivers, but they, the results hadn't necessarily been there consistently for them over the past or over the previous years. So I figured it was going to be an uphill climb. And we went out at Daytona and and won the season opener. And then, you know, we put together some really good finishes. We had a lot of consistency, but it wasn't all easy. You know, we had to work late nights, a lot of, a lot of new thought process into the cars, a lot of different designing of the cars and, and how, you know, we were trying to, we were trying to take some of the different knowledge that Donnie had from, you know, some of the people he knew and same thing from some of the people I knew. We tried to figure out a way to make it work for us. And I felt like we did. And we, we were really good at short tracks. We were really good at the dirt races and we were good at some of the mile and a half. We struggled a little bit more at the tracks that were more aero sensitive. But, you know, when you're, when you're running a, a year-long championship and it's 20 races, you know, you can afford to have your fifth-place finishes and your seventh-place finishes and your third-place finishes. What you can't have is you can't have wrecks and you can't have, you know, 15th-place finishes and, and stuff like that. And we didn't, right? I, I, don't, I think the only finish that we had outside the top 10, I could be wrong, but I want to say the only finish we had outside the top 10 was when, was when I blew a right-front tire at Kansas last race of the year. That was the only race we didn't finish. That was the only race that we were really, you know, off the pace 
from from having, from something that wasn't necessarily in our control. And in 2017, it seems like the momentum and the everything that was in a sense lost at Las Vegas was back. I mean, that's that was looking at the stats. You're right. The lowest finish is 25th at Kansas. That's like what everybody dreams about. That type of season, the consistency, winning at Daytona, and to cap it off a championship. So. What was it about Kenny Schrader's organization? Was it Kenny Schrader? Was it the crew chief, the team? I mean, what what was the it factor that kind of made that? And at what point did you guys realize we have a shot at winning the whole thing? Well, it wasn't until later in the year that I felt like we really had a shot at winning the championship. And it wasn't a focus until later in the year. I think that always happens when you're when you when the championship comes down, you know, to the last five races, anxiety starts to go up and people start to put more focus in it. But having having a team that believes in the driver and having a driver that believes in the team is, I think, probably more important than anything else. You know, there's a lot of stories of teams that give up on drivers and vice versa. A lot of stories of drivers giving up on teams. And when when there's when there's that drama and conflict going on, things don't normally work out. And we didn't have that much at all in, in 2017. You know, everybody was very dedicated. We believed in each other. And but most importantly, we didn't think that we knew all the answers. We didn't think that we knew everything. We, everybody had an open mind on how to, how to get better, how to go faster, how to be more consistent. Like all that stuff was, it was, it was less ego and more teamwork. And uh, I think those are the situations that I, I've always been way more successful in everybody's got a different comfort level, I guess, for teams and stuff like that. But that, that team dynamics in, in that situation with Donnie and some of the, some of the other guys that worked under him was the best for, was the best situation for me being able to run full time for a championship and, you know, let, let what, let my strengths come to the surface and their strengths as well come to the surface. And, and, and answer me this just off topic, kind of, Throughout that 2017 championship season, you ran Chevys, Fords, and Toyotas. Now, why was that? Well, it was for for a couple reasons. Uh, the, the big reason, to be honest, was we won that championship with a budget probably less than the top four, three or four other competitors, and we we could have switched everything to Fords. But at the end of the day, they had they had Chevys that were good there. Their their Daytona vehicle was a Chevy. The short track cars were, were Toyotas and the new cars that they were building, which were, which were older cup cars from back in, in the Hendrick Motorsports days, like the older cup cars and not the new ones, but kind of the hand-me-downs that, that Kenny had bought. Those, those they put, they put Ford bodies on. So that's a really good, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a good demonstration of, Hey, look, that year wasn't a politically correct year. Like we didn't, we didn't just stick by one manufacturer because we couldn't afford to that was a year where you literally walked through the shop and you said, okay, that's our best car. That's our best car. That's our best car. That's our best car. And ignored what really what was on the hood of, or whatever logo was on the hood because the cost to, you know, to switch bodies is, is huge. It's like probably, you know, 15 or 15, over 15,000 or more probably to, to change a body. And, and we, we couldn't justify that for the budget, that the, the budget that the whole team was racing on. That money would have been better spent in, in other areas. So after that championship season, it feels like you're, I, I would assume that it feels like you're on top of the mountain. But really, after that, a couple of Gander Outdoor truck starts, but not 
really much. And then you started running, you ran a few races in the Cup Series. So what happened after that 2017 season? Well, after the 2017 season, there were some opportunities, but certainly not not the sort of opportunities that I think would have would have been best for my long term career. You're right. I, I did have some have some rides with with Ricky Benton in the 92 truck, and we ended up parting ways. You know, not too long after I think my second or third race or something. I was also doing driver coaching. A lot of a lot of people had reached out to me after after I won the ARCA championship, and you know, were, they wanted to know how I could help them and ended up doing a lot of driver coaching in, at the ARCA series level back in, 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 in 2018. And I enjoyed doing that. I, it was a challenge because, you know, it's hard to take sometimes the information that you know instinctively or from experience and be able to talk to somebody about that. It's not the easiest thing. Like I think people, sometimes people are very hard on teachers in general because, because, you know, they're an easy target, but I'll tell you, teaching is a very difficult job because you're, because everybody learns differently. Could, and uh, Yeah, could you give us a four instance on that? Yeah, like like some people are, some people, you can't sit down and talk to them. <laughs> some drivers are, are, have <laughs> such a low ability to focus, not necessarily on the racetrack, but like in, in a conversation, right. that their mind's like all over the place. They can't follow what you're saying. Where you, for them, you might have to take out a piece of paper and draw it on, on a map right. or draw, draw something on a piece of paper. Where you know other drivers, you have to really talk them through it, and their their visual versus hearing, you know, versus uh, actually doing. Like some people, you have to get out in the car and go around the racetrack so that they understand. And it's the same way with kids. I'm sure in a classroom, but you know, racing's the same way. Like uh, these kids that were at one time in a classroom, you know, the the one that couldn't sit still, that's the one that you can't sit down and talk to to talk to them because they're all over their minds all over the place. And, and the one that's, you know, super smart, got good grades, you know, you have to teach them differently. And then the one that, the one, you know, the, 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 you get my point. There's a lot of different ways people learn. And by the end of that year, I'm like, you know what? There's obviously a need for this sort of help and this sort of guidance. I'm going to take it a step further and I'm going to, I'm going to start not only driver coaching people, but I'm going to start kind of advising people on when they're, you know, when, when, when they were my age, when, like when they started racing at 13, if I could have had somebody that knew just as much as I did at that time, even as, even as somebody that's, that was just kind of in the background giving advice or mentorship or consulting in some way, there's no doubt I would have made it way farther. And I think in, 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 in big time racing, there's, there's a lot of that that happens, but there's not as much of that as you think. A lot, a lot of it's just kind of like, Hey, let's try this. Let's, let's, Let's do these. Let's do these races and race these cars and see how it works out. Because you know that driver's doing it, so we we should too. And that was that that had been keeping me busy. Had an opportunity eventually to race. Uh, had had some meetings that that went really well up in up in the Northeast with some different uh, companies, and they're and they they're like you know we want to see you back in a race car and we want to help make it happen and we want to be in the Cup Series. So. That's where the opportunities with, with uh, you know, to race those races for Rick Ware came up, came about. And, you know, as frustrating as it be, can be sometimes to, to run mid-pack or towards the back of the pack, you know, not knowing that you're not going to have a shot at competing. Whereas a couple of years before that, you know, if you didn't win the race, you were disappointed. That was still a very good experience. Um, you know, I, I, felt, I felt like a lot of the drivers that I had become friends with, a lot of the drivers who I'd known, they still have respect for for, you know, the people that kind of 
the people that work the hard way, like the Ross Chastain situation where he, you know, he was racing, he was racing mid pack cars for many years before he got an opportunity in a, in a, in a, in a better car. There's a lot of other examples of that, you know, Corey LaJoy and, and different folks like that. So in a lot of ways, that's what was, that's what was going to happen to me. And as the season went on, you know, there's some more opportunities and some more doors that, that, that had opened. We had really done a good job for some of the sponsors that had come on board. And then at Talladega, I ended up getting hurt again. So kind of put the brakes on, on some of that, you know, future conversation and put the brakes on, on the 2020 plans that we had, which were obviously really, really frustrating. You know, it's like, sometimes it seems like when you have momentum, things are going good. You have something that kind of goes sideways and, and it just so happened. That's what happened back in 2019. And then for everybody, COVID happened. So right. in addition to all that, you know, in addition to my recovery, everybody's dealing with COVID racing shut down. So, you know, that, that added a lot more difficulty to the, to, to getting back behind the wheel. Fortunately, my, my, my coaching and management and consulting business was, was flourishing at that time, even though there wasn't any racing, you know, there's stuff going on behind the scenes. We were trying to plan. Some of the drivers were still trying to plan because they were young enough to where, you know, they, it was, it was no brainer for them. They were going to race late models or ARCA and, and trucks, you know, they were really early in their career. And, uh, and so guys, that's, that's what I've been, that's what I've been really keeping myself busy with lately. And I'm very fortunate. I've had some, had some good results and had some good, had some good, I'm trying to think of, of how to explain, had some good doors open for me. I've had, uh, been able to work closely with, with folks like Ron Hornaday Jr., you know, a NASCAR Hall of Famer who's won multiple times in, in, in the truck series, uh, championships in the truck series. He's, he's also kind of mentoring and guiding drivers. And so kind of working side by side with people like him has helped me, you know, as a, as to be a better coach, to be a better manager, to be, to just be a better uh, all around person. And, and in that time frame too, you know, I'm, I'm not really trying to grow my business this way. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to grow my business like this way a little bit, kind of sideways and up. What I don't, what I don't want to do is I don't want to be, you know, the next, I'm trying to think of ABC agency that signs a whole bunch of drivers and you never hear from them again. I think that happens a lot. And I've had situations where, you know, people have, people have reached out to me wanting me to sign with them when I was early in my career. And I always had a bad feeling of that. Like, it's not something that I, I see myself being able to do and being able to justify and go to sleep at night. So I'm, I'm, I'm keeping that group of drivers I'm working with very small. And, still, and be to, uh, still be able to maintain that personal relationship with them afterwards. Yeah, you got to be able to have a one-on-one relationship with a driver. And, you know, that, 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 that can be difficult, too, because, you know, the closer you get with people, the more, you, the more that you're willing to give them feedback, whether it's positive or negative or vice versa. Like, they, 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 may, they may not like the way I'm, I'm advising them or coaching them. When you keep people at a distance and you have a bunch of people, it's easier to keep those relationships going because people don't, people aren't necessarily told the truth in those situations. When you've got 20 drivers, you know, it's just, it's like you're a number. You're, it's like you're a cog in the wheel. So you get, you know, five drivers or you get even less than that. In in the case for me right now, I don't, I don't have five drivers. Eventually someday I might, but you get so close to them. It's all one-on-one, you know, it's very intimate. Like, you, you, you know so much about them and they know so much about you. That can be both a blessing and a curse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in the, in the grand scheme of things, if you can weather, if you can weather the storm or, you know, if you can weather the, the fact that 
that you really, all you want is the best for them. And you can, you can sort of weather the storm of the industry, like other people coming in and saying, well, you should do this and you should do this. And well, my advice is to do this. And my advice is to do that. Once you can understand that at the end of the day, it's about the relationship and it's about you wanting what's best for them. And they understand that you actually do want what's best for them. Unlike some other people that are floating around, you know, just like any other business, there's always, there's always people that always the naysayers. Yeah. Or yeah, that too. And there's always, there's some people that maybe have different objectives or their motivations may be a little different. I try not to judge that too much, but like I said, I can relate to a driver who comes into a, to an industry that they don't really understand a lot. And I can understand how frustrating it can be to figure out who you can trust. You know, I'm just one person and I have a group of really good people around me that I lean on for, 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 you know, guidance and advice, you know, people that are still racing at the cup level now and people that have helped me, you know, in my career and all that. So I've got a good group of people that, that are around me that, that are not drivers on the outside, but I'm very fortunate to have that because if I had to rely on, you know, a different group of people, I'm, you know, I'm afraid that I just become one of the, one of the other guys, you know, one of the other guys is just doing it for a paycheck and I don't want to do that. What's the name of uh, your company? Just uh, out of curiosity. Well, it's uh, Austin Terrier Racing Development. And so it's kind of a spinoff of my uh, Austin Terrier Racing, AT Racing that I had, you know, for many years. It's what I ran all my racing business through. So I just kind of split off a little portion of that for me to, for me to take on some other drivers and, and right. you know, help guide and manage them. Very nice. So if you want to become uh, the next big thing, Austin Terrier Racing Development is your ticket, I dare say. So I got to go back to Talladega. What happened at Talladega to get you hurt again? When I hurt myself at Vegas, you know, it kind of, it put my, my neck and in my back in a little bit, made it more susceptible, I guess, to, to other injuries from my guess, right? I'm not a doctor or anything like that. And so it was all, it was related to kind of head and neck, head and neck issues and whatnot. But it was at the end of the race and we were actually running really good. And, uh, it was just one of the, one of those deals where, you know, they get issues in front of you and you just can't slow down. Like I was slowing down as best I could. And I just got hit from behind. And once you get hit from behind and you're, you're spinning sideways, there is nothing you can do. <laughs> so it sounds like it's just one of those things where you found your path in racing. You found your calling in racing. I dare say developing drivers and developing the future generation of racers, uh, kind of avoiding the potholes that you might've experienced in your early in your career. We're about to wrap it up here, Austin. One more question I'd like to ask everybody that's come on the show now. If racing wasn't even on the radar, if, I mean, you never, I'd say, got into racing, started racing, what would you be, what would you think you'd be doing right now? That's, that's a, that's a very good question. I've, uh, I've often thought about that a lot. <laughs> there was a, there was a time when I was very interested in like history and, uh, and government, you know, government, politics, whatever you want to say. And I actually don't enjoy politics, if that makes any sense. I don't no, that enjoy make, the drama. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, I don't, enjoy, I don't enjoy the drama and all that stuff and, and, you know, people lying and backstabbing and not getting along, even though, you know, there's a good idea. Well, it can't go through because this, cause then that would prove that person wrong. I don't like that stuff. But at the end of the day, I, I actually do kind of enjoy service of, of the public, like just kind of the, the fact that as a country or as a city or as a, as a state, you know, wherever you are, there has to be, you know, there has to be normal people and regular people that, that, that are representing, you know, the average person. 
that and, gets up every day and goes to work. And, and I think um, if I wasn't racing, that's probably what I would do. Some sort of, some sort of branch of that, just figuring out a way to, to, you know, represent people and represent what they want, actually want, try to do what's right versus try to win the battle. And it's funny because there's a lot of similarities in racing, on the, when you're on the racetrack, you know, it's all about you. You don't want to lose the race. You're going to, you're going to take advantage of the other driver. You're going to put them in a bad spot. You're going to, you know, jump the restart. You're going to dive it in three wide, not knowing if it's going to stick. Well, w- what's good in racing isn't necessarily good in, in uh, you know, for the rest of us, right. And for, for in the government. So understanding that when you're, when you're, when you have that much power and you have that much control, it's not about being right. Right. It's not about being right. It's about doing the right thing. And that's what really bothers me today about, about what's going on in general. Like I'm not a partisan person. I don't really care about what party you are. I think all of us have more in common than we think. And if we could just figure out how to make, how to do what we can with what we do agree with, things would be much better. Well said, Austin. Wise beyond your years, I dare say. Well, from the sounds of it, it would be Mayor Austin or (laughs) Governor Austin or something like that. We'll just have to see. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Maybe one day. Well, Austin, thank you for again for taking the time to be here. I've been trying uh, forever to get you on the show. I'm glad we finally did. Got to like, finally talk. Best of luck in your future endeavors. And I'd like to have you back on one day to catch up on your development school, how that's going, and just, you know, talk. It was a great talking to you. Great. Thanks for sharing everything. Well, I'm glad I was able to get on the show. And thanks again, guys. Yeah, really do appreciate your time again. Best of luck in your future endeavors, and we'll, we'll talk to you later. Before we wrap up today's episode, I wanted to remind everyone out there about our partnership with Fanatics. Fanatics is a proud sponsor of Burns Radio, which we here at Ramblin' About Racing are a proud affiliate with. Fanatics, you can find all your latest and greatest NASCAR gears to get you ready for this coming up season, such as t-shirts, hoodies, hats, diecast, and so much more. But you don't only have to stop in there and buy NASCAR gear. I get all my latest and greatest Washington Capitals gear from there. Yeah, not only do you get hockey gear and stuff like that, I go in there, that's where I get all my Alabama Crimson Tide gear. Yeah, that's right. Roll Tide, man. It's a one-stop shop for all your sports gear needs, no matter what sports you're interested in. All purchases help out. Burns Radio bring you latest and greatest content and keep us on the air to bring you guys that content through the radio. If you head over to ramblingaboutracing.com under our Partners tab, there you will find the link to Fanatics. Take you right there. Go do your shopping there for this upcoming racing season or for whatever sports you want. Go check them out. White flag, white flag, white flag. One lap to go. One lap right here. All right. That was Austin Terrio. Thank you for taking the time to be on the show, Austin. Really appreciate the talk. It was a great interview. One of the best up there, I dare say. Uh, What was your favorite part about it, Charlie? I have to say my favorite part of it was after the setbacks that he's had with between the Las Vegas crash and the Talladega crash that he took lemons and made lemonade. And now he's a developmental teacher for future generation of racers. And I really, I like where he's going with that. Yeah. Uh, honestly, you took the words out of my mouth there. Take in what you're given. You know, he's obviously got talents. He's got some wisdom in racing. So wh- why not give back to the, uh, the generations coming up, teach them some of the ways to make their life a little easier, but also doing it the right way. 
Yeah. So, and, and one thing I've noticed with drivers that have come onto the show, a lot of them go to that. A lot of them, if their career ends up like Austin's has done, they want to give back in a way that they they just want to teach people. And a lot of drivers have done that. Jerry Nadeau has done that. Austin has done that. A lot of people have done that. And I and that's one thing interesting I find about racers and in the racing community is that eventually there comes a point in your career where you give back. And I really do. I've noticed that with racers. They're they're very humble, and, and Austin's right up there with them. And now we're going to get into our this week in NASCAR and our question of the week. And, Charlie, I'm going to leave it up to you. Do you want to start off with the question of the week, or do you want me to go with? Yeah, so uh, we, we did question of the week first. Last week we talked about, you know, did you think that Floyd Mayweather's team with Kaz Grala would, would make the 500? You know, you and I both think that he will, especially with, you know, Tony Erie Jr. sitting on a pit box for him calling the shots. This week, you know, based off what we stand in the clash, do you think that NASCAR should maybe incorporate more concerts on race weekends? Maybe not necessarily – halfway points of course we know that there's not going to be halfway points during regular races but do you think maybe nascar should talk about trying to incorporate concerts you know before the race or possibly even after the races you know what's your thoughts on that let us know all right very nice i, I know for me what my answer is but i'm curious to see what other people say make sure to respond to that on our twitter feed and facebook feed using hashtag what you think itm and we'll definitely Put those on the show for next week. Now, this week in NASCAR, uh, February 11th, 1953, NASCAR conducts its fourth annual victory dinner at the Princess Isaiah Hotel in Daytona Beach. Lee Petty is named most popular driver for the first time the award has been given out since 1949. And that is your This Week in NASCAR. A little bit of last-minute things I wanted to talk to you guys about. During the race, uh, the class race, Quick Pit podcast got in touch with me and said hey we should do a twitter space following the end of the race i said that's a great idea we should do it after the daytona 500 to kind of get everybody saw on that and leave it to the expedition race and on top of that promote the idea of what quick pit had in mind so following the daytona 500 i dare say maybe even following the duels we're gonna get up and partner up with a quick pit podcast to put it out there on twitter space to see what we can do differently and get everybody's reaction after the event that we just had and talk about it. It's not going to be on the podcast. We're going to do our still our own Twitter space thing later in the future about the podcast, but definitely stay on the lookout with that. Again, thanks to Austin for being on the show. Really do appreciate it. Make sure to go follow him, and he's a real good guy, real easygoing guy, and uh, give him a follow on Twitter and stuff like that. Links will be in the podcast description below for his Twitter profile. But Charlie, anything else before we wrap it up here this week? No, I'm good. Glad we had a opportunity to do another episode together this week and looking forward to next week. Yeah. Looking forward to next weekend, the duels after this, this weekend football will be over. NASCAR will be on the menu for everybody. No more Football is my favorite time of the year, Daytona. Not only that, my daughter's coming. So really looking forward to that. 
And Charlie, since you have nothing else, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. I'd like to thank everybody so much for tuning into us this week here at Ramblin' Bad Racing. Special thanks again to Austin for being on the show. Really do appreciate it. Make sure to follow Ramblin' Bad Racing on all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube for the latest and greatest from the world of auto racing and what's going on here at the ITM Media Studio. I'd like to thank our sponsors for the show, Fanatics and Stand Up to Cancer for all they do, not only for Burns Radio, but for what they do here at Ramblin' Route Racing. For Charlie Herkes, Twitter handle, Chark8384. I'm Matt Beamer, mbeamer22 on Twitter. Stay safe and have a good rest of your week.